0: chapter 12. Sunday morning we're studying the book of Hebrews together. We come to chapter 12. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. And just wave to them and get their attention and they'll be happy to get a Bible into your hands. And then please, if you don't own a Bible, we want everybody to own a Bible and to read it and to learn from it. Please make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you today. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us. And then now for our purposes this morning. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the nourishment that it brings to our spirit. Thank you for its cleansing power in our lives, Lord. Thank you for the illumination that it gives us and the wisdom that it gives us. Thank you, Lord, that it thoroughly furnishes us under every good work. And we pray, Lord, that you would take this couple of verses here today and that you would make good friends of them in each one of our lives, that you would make this passage a very important part of our walk with you. And we look to your Holy Spirit today to accomplish all of that in our lives. Thank you for knowing us. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for being concerned for us. And thank you, Lord, for the power and and majesty and perfection of your word this morning and the privilege of being able to study it and to study it together. How thankful we are for your wisdom and your word and we give you thanks this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. We remember that the book of Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish Christians who were suffering tremendous persecution and hardship for the simple fact that they were Christians at that time in human history, and the great persecution being meted out against all Christians at that time. And so because of their love for the Lord, their faithfulness to their relationship with the Lord, their faithfulness to be obedient to His Word, it made them distinctive as a people in the world. Those things make us distinctive in the world today, got them noticed, and it brought great hardship into their life. Now, the blessings of the Christian life are always greater than any hardship, but hardship is real and it can be very, very real uh, depending on what's happening in the whole wide world at the time. The problem these Christian believers were having is that the persecution and the suffering had become so significant that they were actually thinking about uh, ceasing in their commitment to Jesus and returning to the religious system of their youth, which taught that a person could earn their way to heaven through religious works and through good deeds. And so this, and, and they were wanting to return to their former religious system in order to escape the persecution and the hardship that was theirs simply for being identified with Christ. It wasn't because they found some flaw in Jesus or Jesus had failed them in some kind of a way or that they had developed some kind of an intellectual problem with Christianity. None of that was on the table. This was just simply a group of people for whom the trials became so difficult they decided that in order to find some relief, they would walk away from Christ. And this entire letter of Hebrews was written to them to let them know in no uncertain terms that that is simply not on the table for us as Christians. No matter how great the hardship becomes, no matter how great the persecution of the world, when the world persecutes Christians for following Christ and obeying Christ and becoming like Christ, that's always an indictment against the world. It means even more that we don't go back to the world because it means the world is less like Christ than it's ever been. Who wants to be known uh, and for being a part of a world that would kill people and persecute people for being like Christ? And so the writer of the book of Hebrews writes to them and lets them know that even the thought of going back into the world, denying Christ, going back to the former life, whether a religious one or a non-religious one, simply isn't an option for them and it's not an option for us. We are to stay faithful to Christ, whatever the cost might be in this life. Now, in this section of the book, the writer is likening the Christian life to a race, and more specifically, to a long-distance race. And he is acting by the Holy Spirit, acting as kind of a coach. And just as a coach will take his or her team of of long distance runners maybe a cross country team or the long distance runners on a track and field team just as that coach will take them and teach them about not only what's necessary to begin a race but also what is necessary in order to finish that race a physical race the writer of the book of hebrews now tells us how to begin and to finish this christian life So as to one day hear from the Lord, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. And no Christian who does not hear that from the Lord can ever consider their life to have been well spent. And sometimes I think we oftentimes think that we are going to automatically hear that from the Lord just by virtue of being a Christian. But it is spoken to a certain kind of person. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Those are the three characteristics of, of the Christian who is one day going to hear those things from the Lord. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews is telling us this is what needs to characterize our lives to one day hear those words from the very lips of Jesus himself. Now, he's already told them the first thing that they needed to do was to come under the encouraging influence of saints who have remained faithful to God despite suffering the worst that the world can dish out and attempt to get them to deny God in that Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. And so he lets them know, hey, listen, lots of people by the grace of God have remained faithful to God in harder circumstances than you, and if they could do it by the grace of God, you can do it as well. The second thing that he's told them here in chapter 12 is that they needed to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us in this life. And then now he addresses their need for endurance in their spiritual race. And so he tells us at the end of verse 1, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us? Well, it raises a question in our minds. All right, we get the physical imagery of a a human being running a physical race, but what is it supposed to represent for us as Christians spiritually? So when we talk about running our Christian race, what does that mean? And it means basically fulfilling or running the race or running the course of God's plan for our lives. And that involves being obedient to God in our personal relationship with Him, and then also being obedient and faithful to God in His calling upon our lives. And He tells us that we are to do that with endurance. And the word endurance in our English word comes from a Greek word, hoopamoni. That doesn't sound very Greek to me, that sounds Latin or Italian. Hoopamoni. So, we're to run with hoopamoni. We're having hoopamoni with lots of beef and macaroni. Some of you are too young to remember that, and for which you can be very thankful at the moment. But the word hoopamoni means endurance, and it means a steadfast endurance, a steadfast perseverance. And it means to just keep going. No matter what, you just keep putting one foot in front of the other until your race is over. Because no race can ever be finished without endurance. No long-distance race can be. Now, one of the great threats that to our finishing our race or God's calling upon our lives, and being faithful to that, is weariness, he tells us in verse 3, and discouragement. He said, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. We'll talk about that another week. But I do want to introduce it here in this context of running because in every long-distance foot race, there comes a point in that race where the romance and all of the excitement of starting the race has worn off and the finish line still remains very, very far away where it's just you now in that that race. Races are most exciting at the beginning and at the end. And sometimes it's a little bit like that in the Christian life. Here we are, we're brand new Christians. We've begun the race. We've begun the relationship. It's so exciting. Everything's so new. Everyone's patting us on the back. It's going to be fabulous when we end the race and end up in heaven one day. But then there's the race in between. And it can mean hardship and difficulty. And so it's always more exciting at the beginning and the end. That's where the crowds are in a physical race. Everything's, everybody's buzzing with excitement as they're about to begin the race, and then you begin the race itself, all that distance that lands in between the beginning and, and the end, where so often it gets finished by just keep putting one foot in front of the other, in front of the other, and in front of the other over and over and over again. Now, in the old days, it's less true today, but in the old days... Um, they would, when they would provide television coverage of major long-distance races, say on the wide world of sports or the Olympics, um, they didn't show like the Olympics on four or five different channels like they do now. And you can watch the whole marathon if you want uh, on, the, on the television channel as it's being you know, run for hours. Um, In the old days, on those long-distance runs, they would show the beginning of the race, and then they would show the end of the race, but they wouldn't show you very much in between. And if you only knew long-distance running from the basis of wide world of sports or Olympic coverage, you'd have the idea that running this race is... All excitement, I mean the excitement of the anticipation of the beginning of it and then the excitement and the sense of accomplishment at the end of it and you wouldn't know about all of the hard work and the difficulty that goes on between the beginning uh, and, and the end. But the truth is that the, um, uh, most races, while they're very, very glorious at the start and at the finish, the start and the finish are very, very small parts of the race and and the middle part of the race isn't all that exciting and it isn't all that glorious and there isn't a big crowd just waiting to cheer for us as we're running. Running for those of you who've done it you know and some of you just have an inner athlete <laughs> so you you can follow along in your imagination. But those of you who have done long-distance running, you know that running is just really a long, hot, dirty, sweaty, painful experience. And so you've got the muscles are bulging, the veins are bulging, the lungs are burning for more air to accommodate the needs of the body, and it's just one step in front of the other, and we find ourselves being pushed not only to our limit, but beyond our limit, to discover that we put self limitations on ourselves. And what is true related to a physical race is true of our Christian race as well, our Christian life and service. Most of it really isn't that glamorous. Most of it's just a hot, hard, sweaty, um, non glamorous, even painful affair. And that's where these Jewish Christians are. They're in that part of the race. They probably began their Christian life with all of the excitement that most people do when they become Christians, and they think, wow, this is going to be great, 70 more years of this, and then I pop into heaven. And now they find out there's a lot more to it, this side of heaven. And that it can be hard and it can be difficult and we can be pushed to what we think are our limits so that we discover that God's limits are not our limits related to our lives. And this is what they were facing and they'd begun with that excitement. Now things are difficult and they're wanting to quit under the weight of it. Now thankfully, the reason that these first few verses of hebrews chapter 12 are written isn't so the holy spirit says listen you know that the christian life is like a race and it can be very very hard and very very difficult at times and i know that it is too i just wanted you to know that i know i'd I'd be satisfied with that but he does something a little bit more than that in the passage the holy spirit doesn't leave us there He goes on, because he is an outstanding coach, he goes on to give us several really outstanding keys to running this spiritual race with endurance. He doesn't just say, run with endurance. He tells us how we can and why we can. How to run with endurance, keep on going until we successfully finish. Notice the keys are all the ones I'll be looking at this morning are in verse 2. He tells us, key number one, that we are to be looking unto Jesus. That is, we are to keep our focus on Him. Now, a long-distance runner will do a couple of different things when they're running. They will do one thing with their eyes, and they will do another thing with their mind. But they will do something with both of them. When a person is running a long distance, most often with their eyes, and you will always set your eyes on something... They will set their eyes on some kind of a landmark very far out in the distance. And so they will run toward that landmark. That's what they do with their eyes. The other thing that they will do in their minds is they will try to think about something that is encouraging to them, a blessing. To them, while their body hurts, while their lungs hurt, while they're demanding all of this of their body, they send their mind sometimes to another place, to a place that will be an encouragement to them, something that's pleasurable for them. So they may think upon, while they're in the middle of the agony of a race, think about a past trip to Hawaii. And if they're running on a hot summer day, standing under a waterfall there or something. Think about taking a swim. Uh, if they've been to Israel or had some kind of a you know, monumental experience like that, a trip to Israel, they may in the course of that race because it's such a pleasant experience. By the way, I'm not plugging the Israel trip, but we are having an Israel trip this fall. But they may just begin to work their way through. Okay, on day one, we went to Caesarea, and then we went to Mount Carmel, and then we went to Nazareth, and then we went to and so forth in their mind, and then the next day and the next day and the next day. Or they might put their mind on the meal they're going to eat or what they're going to drink when they finish their race. But they'll always put their mind on something pleasant and encouraging. You don't ever engage in long distance running and think about unpleasant things because it will sap you. You don't think about bills while you're running. You run so that you don't have to think about bills. You don't, ru- while you're running, you don't think about a major relationship in your life that is imploding at the moment because that, that, all that kind of negativism will affect the physical uh, performance of the body and can even so get a person all mixed up and all and, and discouraged that they will then stop the race. What we do is we set our minds on something that is massively encouraging to us. And he, the writer is telling us that we need to do that on our own spiritual race. We're going to set our focus on something in this spiritual race. And he's telling us essentially there is no more encouraging place to set our heart and set our eyes and set our mind than upon Jesus himself through prayer, through sitting at his feet quietly and meditating upon him in a quiet time every day, through the reading and the study of the Word of God. The Greek word for our English word, Looking in the text is a very, very interesting uh, one. It means to look intently. So we're to look at Jesus intently. In other words, we keep our focus riveted upon Him. And there's reasons. We'll get to that in a moment. But we keep our focus riveted on Him. It carries the idea of that word does of staring with wide open eyes eyes. In other words, our eyes are big, they're open, and they are focused on Jesus himself. One translation uh, translates it um, having our eyes fixed upon Jesus, and that's very, very good. Now, this word looking is an interesting one. Like a lot of words in the Greek language, there's a lot of nuance to it and depth to it. It also carries the idea of looking away from other things in order to look at that one thing. So it is staying focused upon Jesus, but there's the realization that we stay focused on Jesus in this spiritual race, and in order to do so, we have to take our eyes off of a lot of other things in order to do that, a lot of things that would be discouraging to us. So in a physical race, discouraging things are... Um, the cramp, a calf starting to cramp, and you say, I should have stretched it more, or I should have, you know, gotten, you know, some electrolytes in a little bit earlier, or something like that. Or you can begin to become aware of the temperature, or aware of a steep hill that's coming up. All of these different things that can come in into our thinking in a physical realm of, of running. But there's a lot of things that distract us in a spiritual race, that if we allow them to take our eyes off of Jesus, they can mean the difference between finishing the race or not finishing the race. What are some examples of it? Putting our eye, taking our eyes off of Jesus and putting them on ourselves. <laughs> There's hardly anything more depressing or discouraging than that upon our own limitations, our own, you know, failures, our own inabilities, our own lack of whatever it might be. And so often a person gets paralyzed, we become self-focused in our trial or in our difficulty, we take our eyes off of the Lord, and then we wonder why we're looking for a bench at the side of the track instead of continuing in the race. And so, Keeping our eyes on Jesus means we're going to have to look away from ourselves, looking away from other people too. Sometimes people can be pretty discouraging in this Christian life, taking our eyes and making sure that we look away from our circumstances that want to dominate us so much and take our eyes off of the Lord or other things of the world or or temptations in the world. All of these things will discourage us in our race and they'll sap energy from our lives that would not otherwise be lost if we kept our focus upon the Lord. There's an old saying. It's kind of corny, but um, everybody has a right to hear it once in their life. It goes something like this. Look at others and be distressed. Look at yourself and be depressed. Look at the Lord and be blessed. And that's kind of what the, the writer is saying here keeping our eyes on the Lord, no one, no thing is more encouraging to us in our walk with the Lord than keeping our eyes upon Him. We're to never take our eyes, our spiritual eyes, off of Him. Now, the second key that the writer gives us here to running our spiritual race with endurance is to be confident that Jesus is both the author of our faith and he is the finisher of our faith. That word author is an interesting one because it has several different kinds of meanings. All of them kind of are the same, but there's some diversity with it. And, and so uh, I, I, like to, I believe that it's saying that he's the author of our faith in the sense that he is the originator of, originator of our faith. So when you have an author, an author sits down, to write something, he is originating something. He or she is creating something. They've, they've begun something now in, in, in the writing of that. And so it's someone who originates something. And the writer is telling us that the Lord has started us in this race. He's the one that's called us into this Christian life. And that's a good thing to be reminded of. We are in this race because he has called us into this race. That's why why you're a Christian today. It wasn't like you got smarter one day or I got smarter one day and the the light went off all because of our little, little gray cells up in the noggin. It was because the Lord called us into this race and then we obeyed that calling. But He's not only the author or the originator of our faith, but the writer wants us to know that He's the finisher of our faith as well, and that is that he will be the one to make sure that we finish the race that he has called us into. He hasn't called us into a race and said, listen, I got you started, and boy, you look a little liffy. I don't think you'll make it. I'll be up in heaven, see if you get there. He doesn't do it that way. He says he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, you put yourself in the place of those Hebrew Christians, and all of us will find ourselves in that place sooner or later in our Christian life where we look and say, boy, if I want to get out from under the weight of this difficulty, this trial, this persecution, all I got to do is jettison my relationship with God and go back to my old life. And so when you're facing, when you really come to a place and life becomes that hard in the fallenness of this world and somebody comes along and you're seriously thinking about that and someone comes along and reminds you that Jesus is the author and the finisher of your faith, that is a tremendous encouragement. That He puts us in the race and then He will make sure that we finish it. It's the same truth elsewhere in the New Testament Paul writing to the Philippians, he said, being confident, God wants us confident in this race. It's very detrimental for an athlete in a long-distance run to lose confidence that they're going to finish that race. You're, ha- you're halfway dead. You're done if, if, that, if there's a loss of confidence that I'm going to finish this and finish it successfully. And so Paul writes and said, being confident of this very thing, that he that is God who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. Jude wrote in his epistle, verse 24, Now unto him that is God, who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It is so important for us to realize in this spiritual race we're in that if we are willing to finish this race, then Jesus himself will make sure that we finish this race. And that makes Jesus completely different from this great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews chapter 11. Those witnesses in Hebrews chapter 11, they inspire us, but they cannot strengthen us in the way that Jesus alone can strengthen us in the way that he does. And so it's intended to provide us with this tremendous confidence we will be able to finish this race no matter what obstacle we might face because of Jesus. I like a story, I've told it before, but I really like it in this context, historical account concerning Frederick the Great, who sent a messenger to one of his generals, stating, I'm sending you against the enemy with 60,000 men. And when the troops arrived, the general looked and, there were, and counted and there were only 50,000. And the general sent a letter of protest back to Frederick the Great and said, there must be a mistake. I'm 10,000 short. And Frederick the Great replied, he said, no, there's no mistake. I counted you for 10,000 men. <laughs> Thanks a lot. But to just to stop and think in this race that we're running and when it really, really, really gets hard and to stop and think, what do we Count Jesus for in this race and the author says here's what you can trust in him to be both the originator and the finisher of your faith he will be all of that to you from the beginning to the end of the race and everything in between the third key to running our spiritual race with endurance is to make what was Jesus' source of joy during His ministry, during His 33, year, 33 years of His incarnation, making that His source of joy during His ministry to be our source of joy as well. And so we notice what Jesus set His eyes on during His 33 years. Your public ministry? You said, What did Jesus set his eyes on that allowed him to run his race successfully? And the writer tells us in verse 2 the joy that was set before him. That's a tremendous insight. Anyone who wants to be an outstanding athlete knows that you will study other athletes who have excelled in the field that you're wanting to excel in. And so you study them physically. You study what they do, how they do, what's the form of their jump shot, how do they kick that ball, how do they finish their stroke when swimming, or whatever it might be, how do they run, what kind of a lope do they settle into. You study them physically But then, using the NBA basketball as an example, you see an athlete and you study and you realize this guy has become one of the top ten players in the NBA in history. And you look at what he is physically. You look at his body. You look at his height. You look at his jumping ability. You look at all of these different things. You emulate all of that. You try to produce all of that in your own body. But you realize as you look at him that I could point out 25 other athletes in the NBA right now who are more gifted physically than he is or at least as gifted physically as he is. In other words, his greatness is not tied just to what he is physically. And so then, then you realize... I want to get into his mind. I want to know what he thinks when he gets put into this position. I want to know what he thinks when the ball's in his hand and it's down to six seconds and the game is on the line. I want to know why a guy like that wants the ball in his hand at that time. What's inside of a guy that makes a person like that, and then to excel in that environment. Where is he mentally? Where is his focus? Because so often it isn't just physical. It's something else that's added to that that determines greatness. And here we're given tremendous insight into Jesus. We're told that he endured the cross and he despised the shame And Jesus is our greatest example of all in terms of staying faithful to God's calling in the face of the worst that the world can meet out against us and doing so at whatever the cost. And yet, despite the shame and the enduring of the cross, He finished His race. And you ask yourself, How did He do it? Why did He do it? You say He was God. Oh, (laughs) yes, He was. And He is. But everything He did in His incarnation during those three and a half years, He did in the power of the same Holy Spirit that indwells each of us. So how and why What was going on inside of him for finishing that race? How was he able to do it? Why was he able to do it? For the joy that was set before him. You see, what kept him through the cross? Not just the pain of the cross, what kept him through the shame of the cross? And remaining faithful to God the Father in the midst of that kind of shame. The shame of the Creator being rejected and crucified by His creation. Is there a greater shame for God to bear than that shame that He bore? On that cross, in addition to bearing our sin, so what kept him? The writer says, the joy of an eternity, of eternity, and for the day that he would once again return to heaven and return to the glory of that place and once again sit at the right hand of the Father. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is telling us that one of the great inspirations to finishing in this race that God has called us to is to keep our minds on the heaven that is on the other side of this race. And the whole theme of eternity fills the book of Hebrews chapter 11 in the early part of chapter 12 because... That it, 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 because it's a, eternity is a key to living the life of faith. Concerning Abraham in chapter 11 and verse 8, we're told, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he would afterward receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. But by faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him with the same promise. He had the promise from God, but he never saw the fulfillment in its fullness of that promise in his own lifetime because it involved his whole history of his descendants. You say, what kept Abraham going and walking, running his race of, the, of that kind of faith? The writer of The book of Hebrews went on and he said, For he, speaking of Abraham, waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What got him through it? He lived this life under the weight and the anticipation of the glory of heaven. Moses, in the same chapter, verse 24, By faith Moses, when he became of age, He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. What caused Moses to walk away from becoming the next Pharaoh in Egypt, and not only walking away from all of that wealth, all of that power, all of that glory, but then leaving that to associate himself with a people who were currently under great affliction for the simple reason that they were God's people. Why would a man make that decision in this life? And the reason that Moses did was for the eternal reward of following God, for he looked to the reward. The Apostle Paul said, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. He wrote elsewhere in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 3, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus. This race is run and to be run dominated by an anticipation for the beauty and the glory and the blessing of heaven that will be ours after having faithfully finished the race that God has called us to. I only had the privilege one time of hearing Warren Wearsby speak uh, in person. And he was teaching a group of pastors in Southern California, San Bernardino, many years ago. And he did a series of character studies there And in one of them, he taught concerning, he actually taught concerning Abraham, and he taught concerning eternity, taught concerning uh, heaven. And one of the things that Warren Wearsby said in that teaching, and I've never forgotten it, he said, heaven isn't just a destination. Now, let me just say in the privacy of our own hearts, How many of us as Christians sit in this room this morning and all heaven is to us is a destination? It needs to be much more than that in our race. He said heaven isn't just a destination. It is also a motivation. Because it was a motivation in Jesus' life To return to the right hand of the Father after having faithfully finished what the Father had called him to do in this world. And it is a motivation in our hearts as Christians, so that one day when we enter into heaven, we will enter into heaven not by the skin of our teeth or smelling of smoke, barely escaping the flames of hell but that we will enter into the glory of heaven to now enjoy the afterglow of a race well run. And to hear that well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Funny thing about a race is that no matter how painful it gets, no matter how torturous, no matter how much cramping, no matter how much lungs, no matter how much I can't, I'm not going to make it another step. I'm not going to make it another step. I made it another step. I made it another step. I'm not going to make it this step, though. Hey, I made it another step. All the way to the end. One of the beautiful things and parallels related to all of this is that a fascinating thing happens once you cross the finish line. Because once you cross the finish line, you forget All of that, and all of that is immediately swept away under the glory of the sense of accomplishment that I finished this race. And one of the great motivations for continuing with Christ and being faithful to Christ in our relationship with Him and in our service is to realize that heaven goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and to enjoy heaven with that eternal sense of accomplishment that I ran my race, I did not bail on God, I did not deny God, I ran the race God had put before me That is an afterglow that the writer of the book of Hebrews wants every single Christian to know once we cross the finish line and enter into heaven. And each one of us can know that. The long enjoyment of a race well run. So we're to run this race with endurance, which means we're never to give any serious thought to quitting. It's not even an option. It's not even something that we can think of. To, is something that would be a possibility in our lives. We are to keep on keeping on because no one ever finishes a race by quitting. And our coach, the Holy Spirit here, gives us three great needed keys to running with endurance. We need to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. He alone is our great example. As encouraging as the great cloud of witnesses, He alone is our single great example. Number two, we're to run confident that he who has called us into this race will make sure that we finish it. And then number three, we need to make the source of his joy the source of our joy as well. And that is the eternal joy of heaven, enjoying the sense of accomplishment for having been faithful to God in this life. I close with this. I can never think of this passage, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I can never think of the word endurance. I can never think of the Greek word hoopamoni without a particular thing that happened in my childhood uh, popping up into my mind. And when I think about hoopamoni and endurance in this passage, my mind goes back to my junior high school track team where I was given my first great lesson not only in the importance of endurance to finishing a race but where I learned the power of endurance in a single life to inspire others. So as a member of Ridgeview Junior High track team and it was a very pretty good sized junior high school and so the track team was a a large track team. And so I had my couple events that I ran in and then once those were over, I would go up into the stands and I would sit and then watch everybody else finish out their events and watch how everybody else did. I became a spectator just like everyone else. And so I would watch At all of these meets that I would go to, I would watch all of these people on all of these teams, our team included. I watched them run. I would watch them jump. I would watch them throw. And some of them were astonishing athletes. Some of us weren't going to be able to grow a whisker until we were a junior in college. Some of the guys had beards in junior high. They crushed the rest of us. But there were people that could run like greyhounds, unbelievable athletes on that track team and on some of the teams that we competed against. But if you were to ask me to really remember any of those races or those individual jumps or those individual throws now, I really can't. And I can't even tell you, honestly, who else was on our team. There's one young man who's etched in my memory by the name of Greg. And Greg was a classmate of mine, though he was one year ahead of me. I had a couple of um, optional classes in which we were in the same class, and he was a brilliant student. But he wasn't very much of a track star. He wore these big, thick glasses and big, heavy, black frames on his face. He had strawberry blonde hair, which is so often goes with that, he was almost albino white. And he would get out into the sun and he would just look pink. He's more than a little bit heavy. And uh, even in junior high, not being that old, uh, you could see that he had already kind of developed a scholar's stoop he was hunched over from being over the books all the time. So his posture wasn't that great. And when he walked, you could hear him coming for a mile. Now, a little bit later in my junior high years, uh, desert boots became what you would wear. That was the hip thing. But before that, everybody wore wingtips. And most of the people, in order to get a little extra wear out of them, they would put these metal taps on the bottom of the heels. So Greg in wingtips with metal taps was like thunder coming down the hallway. There was just no missing that Greg is right around the corner. Couldn't sneak up on, on anyone. And Greg ran the mile for Ridgeview Junior High School four times around the track. The funny thing about him is that every In every race, he would end up being lapped by the fastest of the other runners who were running the mile with him. In other words, by the time he hit the line to begin the fourth and final lap, the other runners were sitting on the lawn putting their sweats back on. And he would break through that line to begin his final lap, And there he'd be the only one out on the track running. And his face just bright red, his chest is heaving, is gasping for air, every step like the other. He didn't have another gear to kick it into. He only had one gear compound low. And as I sat in the stands, and it happened repeatedly, I would notice the funny thing would happen to Greg on that final lap. As he began the final lap, most of the other kids in the stands and elsewhere, they would just begin to laugh at him. And it wasn't just kids, it was adults too. They begin to laugh at him and they begin to mock him, you know, this chubby, uh, bespectacled boy that's just plodding around the track all alone because he was, had been lapped by everyone else. And all this would go on until he hit that first quarter part of that final lap. And then it was almost like supernatural. All of the laughing, all the mocking would cease in the stands. And it was like everybody thought the same thing all at once. And what they thought was, he's going to finish this race. And from that point in the race... All the way to the end, the cheers would get louder and louder and louder and louder for him until everybody was in a frenzy. By the time he crossed the finish line, if everybody's thrown ball caps or sweats or jerseys or anything that they had in the air to celebrate Greg's finishing of his, his race. That mile run was the final event of those meets, those junior high meets, And so when everybody would then turn to leave, nobody remembered even who won the mile race. Nobody thought about who even won any of the other events. Everyone left talking about and inspired by Greg's commitment to finish. And years later, I would think about what went on in his mind as he plotted around that track Maybe he thought to himself, "You know, why why do I do this week in and week out, coming out here and making a fool of myself? There isn't a pastor in the world that doesn't understand something about that." And all those things that we can be thinking in times of discouragement in the race. I'll tell you what. He inspired us more than all of the superbly gifted athletes that made up that team. And here's why I mention that race. Because sometimes we can think that the power of our Christian witness, the greatness of our impact for God is going to come out of some dynamic this or that about our lives. When the most powerful witness of our lives is when people simply see us continue our race and finish it, when... Everyone in the world knows we're not the most talented. We're not the most mighty. We're not the most noble. Or when we continue to run and we continue to walk with God and we continue to serve God when everybody knows that the path that we're on in order to do so is an extraordinarily difficult path. So you may feel like a plotter And you're tempted to quit at times. Don't you ever do that because you have no idea how many people are quietly watching you and are inspired by your commitment to run your race with endurance. Know that it's happening, believe that it's happening. Yes, we run this race supremely for God. Yes, we run this race faithfully because we want to hear that well done at the end of the race. But it's also good to know that as we run that race such as we are, that it also inspires other people to continue and to finish their race as well. Let's stand together and we'll pray together. Thank you, Father, for all of this imagery. Thank you for what it means to us and how it instructs us in our walk with you and in our service to you. And I pray, Lord, and we pray for one another here this morning that you would take these two verses in Hebrews chapter 12, that you would give them a living place in our relationship with you, and that by your Holy Spirit you would forever use them to keep any of us from quitting the relationship with you and the call that you have upon each of our lives. And we just entrust this passage to you and your Holy Spirit to accomplish that and to stir up good things in our heart, Lord no matter how hard things might get for us individually between here and the heaven that awaits us. And we ask these things of you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.